Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, teaching pastor Chad Brugman has part one of the series titled Jonah, the story of a runaway. Good morning, my friends. How are you guys? I'm in a good mood. Thanks for asking. My heart's full. I'm a little tired, but who cares? My heart is full. It's a good day uh, to be in church. That last song we sang wrecked my heart. I started crying like a little girl. It was amazing. Little, little boy, whatever. whatever. Um, but it was so beautiful um, because I just closed my eyes and I just pictured staring at the eyes of Jesus and just singing to him the glory that he deserves. And then when you get to do it with a bunch of like-minded people, it's just something beautiful starts to happen. And so I've already had a good cry this morning. I'm so ready to go, right? It's beautiful to be with you guys. Uh, I'm going to jump in pretty quick. I do have to ask for a little bit uh, this morning of some grace from you guys and a little bit of latitude um, from you guys, if you will give it to me, because I did something that happens every now and then, but it's definitely the exception and not the rule. It doesn't happen to me a lot because I don't like when it happens, but I changed the sermon, a good portion of it yesterday. And usually by Saturday, I'm long done with it, and I've got it ready, and I relax on Saturday, and I'm, I'm just getting ready to go, and, and I did. And so what, what I'm going to ask from you is if you give me some grace and latitude in this area, I don't know how eloquent I might be this morning, but thank goodness the Apostle Paul said that it's not eloquence, it's the power of God that actually changes things. Thank you for saying that, Paul. Because sometimes, you know, in your ego and in your pride, you still want to be eloquent. It's, it's not bad to want to do a good job, but uh, what's more important is to do a faithful job. And so I'm going to try and do a good job, but my goal is to do a faithful job. And God changed a little bit of my heart uh, in the 11th hour and 59th minute. So are you guys okay with that? So if I, f- I fumble up here every time I'm up here, I always say some dumb stuff, but it might be more uh, today because I'm going to go off script a little bit. Um, let's pray. We better pray before this one, all right? Uh, Jesus, we love you so much, and we are here for you. We are here because of you. We are breathing because of you right now. And so we just give this time to you. And Jesus, I ask that your grace and kindness and presence would be here in such a beautiful way. And Holy Spirit, we just honor you. And we ask that again, you do all the heavy lifting. You do the stuff that only you can do. I'll do my best, but we put all our hope and reliance on the fact that you're the helper. You're the convictor. You're the encourager. You're the counselor. You're the one that guides us into all truth. So would you please bless us with that Holy Spirit? Uh, Jesus, this time is all dedicated to you. And so we pray it in your name. And everyone said... So quick question for you this morning. Uh, How many of you, by show of hands, let's get real in church, by show of hands, ran away at some point in your life? Probably as a kid. It's usually as a kid you ran away. Okay, how many of you as parents now, by show of hands, have had a kid that at some point did it back to you, right? She's proudly like, yes, it's recent. Like, okay, I ran away as a kid, um, and I was awful at it. I ran away for 45 minutes total. Uh, I never made it out of my backyard and I reflected back on it, and I know exactly why. It's because I didn't have snacks. And I don't go anywhere without snacks. Me loves to eat. And so I didn't have snacks. I was in the backyard, and I got bored with it. It wasn't really doing for my parents the message I thought it would send. And so I just came back in, and I ate a bunch of snacks. So that's my big one runaway story. Um, but uh, I did read some runaway stories this uh, week, and I thought they were pretty awesome. You might think they're silly. I think they're amazing. These are runaway letters that were written by little kids to their parents. Go ahead and put that first one up. This says, Mother and Dad, do not call the FBI or peace, (laughs) please. I will be back at Wednesday. The reason why I have done this is because you are mean. (laughs) 
Sam. <laughs> Put the next one up. It says this. It says, by the time you read this, I might be leaving. If you want to see me again, I will be at the first McDonald's that you see when you go right from the house. <laughs> still, cur- still courteous. I love you. Next one. It says this. I'm leaving home. I have $30 on me, which should last a long time, unless you need two gallons of gas. Amen. Uh, if you need me, keep in contact. Just leave a letter. Or just leave a letter. I will come every morning. If you have my phone, if I have my phone on me. Sorry, this is hard to read. If you want to call, I have a jacket and a pair of sweatpants. <laughs> Love you all. Have a great summer. Side note: Don't call cop. Not cops. Must be a small town. Next one. First, I like the the lettering, the letter heading. The more I know about men, the more I like my dog. That's great. Dear mom and dad, I ran away. I'll be back soon. Love Joey. It's all mom's fault. (laughs) Come on, moms. You deserve better than that. Save the best for last, in my opinion. I'm running away from home because you think I farted when I didn't. (laughs) That's real, man. Don't blame it. If it's not there, don't blame it. P.S. You're mean. How awesome are kids? No filters, right? Beautiful. So it's, it's funny, right? I, I got so much joy from reading those all week, and we just got some joy. It's funny, and it's cute, and it's endearing, right? Because they're kids, and they're just acting off of instinct. But it's not, come on, let's be honest. It's not quite as endearing and cute and funny when we as adults run, run from the things that matter most to us, but way even more importantly, when we run from the things that matter to God. And so we're starting this four-week series about probably the world's most famous runaway, right? The, the most notorious runaway. And the implications aren't childlike and endearing and cute. The implications of Jonah running away are staggering. But they're also incredibly, and I'm, I'll just warn you today, and this isn't a bad thing. Conviction is a, a gift from the Holy Spirit. This is a convicting message as we start chapter one, as we go through all of them, no matter what you feel, and you're going to feel so much hope and encouragement in this message. But one of the goals, if I'm just being straight up right up top of this week one, is it should be an incredibly convicting day in such an encouraging, because I don't want to ever tell hard truth unless it's met with so much encouragement, because that's how I saw Jesus do it masterfully, right? And I want to model him, but it should be uh, convicting. So we're calling it Jonah, the story of a runaway. Jonah's a a prophet of God. He's an incredible man of God. He's not going to be painted in a really great light because the story doesn't paint Jonah in a really great light. But can I tell you at the core of who Jonah is, you can tell by God's treatment of him, he is a man who deeply loves God. He's just working through some stuff like you and I, and some of his fleshly instincts and nature start to get in the way, but he deeply loves God, and he's a man who would run away from God. Are you ready for this? You ready for why he would run away from God? There's multiple reasons, but at the end of the day, he runs away from God because God's call doesn't make sense on paper. You ever felt that? You ever been there? I've been there so many times. He runs from God because the call of God that he would put on his life doesn't make sense on paper. And the first verse I think about when I think about that with Jonah is Proverbs chapter three. It's a verse many of you are familiar with. It says this, it says, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. And then what's it saying? What it says next is so important. It says, lean not on your own noggin, intellect, understanding, right? 
Because those two things, to some degree, are almost always going to be fighting each other on this side of eternity. It says, lean not on your own understanding. Here's what we do. We, 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 when intellect gets in the way of God's call, we put that to the side and we just start to acknowledge God. It says, acknowledge him in all his ways, not your ways. Because oftentimes his ways are what? Higher than our ways and his ways are ways we wouldn't do it if we were God. You're going to run into this tension nonstop in your life where your intellect and God's call on your life are at odds with each other and are butting heads. And uh, Solomon, the wise man here, he says, man, you, you just worry about acknowledging God. You just follow what God says and all of the facts that don't make sense right now, those will play catch up. He says, you do the heart work and let the mind catch up. And I wrote in my notes, I'll put it up on the screen. Jonah couldn't get his mind on God's call. He couldn't get his mind there, so he couldn't get his heart there. So he did everything to run away from there. God asked Jonah to do something that made no sense. I'll just give you the cliff notes for, for week one. He asked Jonah as a prophet to go and speak a very kind, hard message, convicting message, but a very kind message because anytime God calls someone to repentance, it's kindness, right? He says, I want you to go and call Nineveh to, to, to repent. And Jonah's, Jonah's from birth, let's give him some grace here, like we, we've all to some degree been indoctrinated from birth. It's just wherever you grew up, whatever country you grew up in, whatever household you grew up in, whether you wanted it or not, you're going to be to some degree indoctrinated. I'm not saying all indoctrination is bad, I'm just saying we all grow up indoctrinated. He was indoctrinated from birth, Nineveh bad, Israel good, Right? There was a little bit at the time, a bit of, of ungodly bravado that Israel had in the midst of their own idolatry when Jonah was around, in the midst of their own materialism, because when Jonah was around, Israel was actually really prospering at the time. It was a good time for the nation. The king they were under, things were just working out. They had had peace for a good long time. And how many of you know, once prosperity comes, there's new demons that come to get you, right? That then when there's difficulty in deserts, they're in a seasons of prosperity. They're incredibly, if you do the, the, the study on this time of Jonah, they're incredibly becoming materialistic. And with that, almost always, you start to slowly edge out God because we buy the lie as humans when things are going well and, and, and all the amenities are in place that we don't need God anymore. We finally got the formula. We finally got it figured out. So this is what's going on in this time period. But what Jonah's been taught from birth, Israel good, Nineveh bad. And I get it, Israel was God's seed that was chosen to save the world, right? God always starts with the seed to make something beautiful grow. Israel, though, over time had been told for so long, hey, you're God's chosen ones. You're this special nation. What they forgot, that they were still just the first fruit. They were still just a seed that God was going to use to grow a beautiful flower back called planet Earth. And so they're starting to get, without realizing it, arrogant. They're starting to think all of us are good, all of you bad. But what we see in the scriptures, and you cannot, this is so important. This is so important we understand this in week one. You cannot read the book of Jonah properly if you don't read the last verse first. Isn't that interesting? It's like the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all over the place in Ecclesiastes. And if you don't know the last verse of Ecclesiastes, you'll never understand what King Solomon's getting to because in the last verse of Ecclesiastes, he says this. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands. 
So then when you read the rest of Ecclesiastes, you can keep in mind the whole time that what Solomon's really trying to conclude and get at is the whole purpose of life and the whole duty of man is simply to fear God and to keep his commands. The same thing applies in Jonah. And I get to preach week four, and so we'll really camp on this verse in week four. But I wanted to make sure we started out with it. In Jonah 4.11, this is the last verse in the narrative. It says, this is God talking to Jonah. Because Jonah, again, we'll go there in week four. He's throwing a huge pity party because he ended up going, spoiler alert, but it's going to be fine. He ends up in, in, in in a crazy way going to obey God eventually, kicking and screaming, but he still went and did it. He preached repentance to the Ninevites and against Jonah's wishes, guess what? It works. They repent. They humble themselves. Nineveh does. They turn to God. And so at the very last chapter, and I, I kind of like this story. Some of you won't like this, but I'm very comfortable without having a red bow tied onto the end of stories because to me, it's just real life. There's no red bow at the end of this story. The last thing Jonah gets is a bit of a rebuke from God. Last verse, it says, should I not pity? Some of your Bibles will say, have mercy on. That's the better translation. God's saying, should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city And here's the motive. There's 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. And also, this is how good God is. He's also like, I also care about the cattle. And they got a bunch of cattle, more than almost anyone on earth at the time Nineveh had, because it was a central trade port. God's sitting there going, Jonah, these are 120,000 living, breathing human souls who, although don't know Yahweh yet, they bear the image of Yahweh, even though they don't know that yet. And although they don't know it yet, I fearfully and wonderfully knit them in the womb together just as much as you Israelites. So should I not have pity on them? But Jonah could not wrap his mind around that, so he couldn't get his heart there, so he does everything to run away from there because he had been indoctrinated from birth, Nineveh, enemies of God, us, friends of God. And God's so much bigger than that, y'all. God's trying to break him out of his box and say, no, no, you don't understand. You're gonna hear my greatest prophet ever, Jesus, come one day and say, I so love the world, including the 120,000 people and cattle in Nineveh that I'm gonna give my only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jonah's intellect hadn't caught up to the heart of God yet. And so what's Jonah do when he gets a command from God like you and I will multiple times in our life? What's he do when it gets too hard? He runs. And he's as much a runaway as he assumed Nineveh was. They just manifest differently. You know what I'm saying? Nineveh were runaways from Yahweh out of ignorance. I got a lot of grace for that. They just didn't know what they didn't know. Jonah's being held to a way higher standard than Nineveh because he's a runaway, not out of ignorance. He's a runaway out of what we'll talk about in week four, this nasty thing called self-righteousness. Thinking him and his people are better than some other people and people group on earth and God in his kindness is not having it. Anytime you pit yourself against another people group, sinner or saint, Can we have church for a minute? Anytime we pit ourselves against any people group, any ethnicity, any culture, any country, any tribe, we are messing with God's holy people who bear his image. Because God's heart is to save them as much as it is to save me in my own rebellion. Remember what, we love John 3.16, I've already quoted it, but we forget to quote John 3.17 sometimes. Jesus, not me, Jesus says, I came not to condemn the world, 
I came to save Nineveh. I didn't come to condemn him, but Jonah wanted him condemned. God wanted pity and mercy for those 120,000 people. Jonah wanted justice and judgment. But it's interesting that justice in God's eyes and in God's kingdom is directly related to mercy. They're not mutually exclusive, justice and mercy. You understand that? Mercy is the medicine that brings back justice to the human experience. They're not pitted against each other, but oftentimes in our lives, it's like, well, God, you know my story, and you know what I've been through, and you know where I come from, and, and you, know, you know the reason I did all those failures or dumb things, and you know why my rebellion's there, and, and so, God, you know I need mercy, but then you see someone else who sins different than you, and you're like, well, justice for them, because God, clearly that ticks you off, and clearly they have no excuses for doing that, and I don't care about their backstory or how they got there, right? Because you don't sin that way, so it makes no sense to you. This is what Jonah is going through. Nothing makes sense on paper. So he runs in the opposite direction. Let's read it. Jonah's starting in chapter one and verse one. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, this is an important word, arise, get up, go, wake up, go to Nineveh. This is where Jonah would have been like, record scratch, what? I'm sorry, speaking to my good ear, God, I thought you just said go to Nineveh. We don't go to Nineveh unless we're carrying swords and ready for battle. We don't go to Nineveh unless we're trying to take care of them or they're trying to to kill us. He says, arise and go to Nineveh. Now I put in the parentheses there so we understand this. Nineveh would have been a a city which is in now Iran, modern day Iran, okay? Deep in the, it's not a city anymore. It goes by another name. That empire has long been gone, but it's in modern day Iran. So he says, God says, arise. Think about this now. Go to Iran that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Next verse, it says this. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, which I wrote in parentheses. That's a city you can now find in modern-day Spain. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Next verse. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go to them to Tarshish. And here's the more important thing, away from the presence of the Lord. See, God couldn't get past his intellect and get past his bias and get past his from birth indoctrination towards Nineveh. And so what's he do? What we can, if we are not careful to do, go in the complete opposite. Listen, let's, let's, let's have a, a quick, um, let's raise hands here. If, if you got a fully paid plane ticket, to Iran today, or a, a full paid trip to Spain. Where are y'all going? Spain. Yeah, Spain. Thank you for being honest in church. God's here. Let's be honest, right? We're going to Spain. If you, you, you can go to the hot desert, or you can go to the beautiful coastal region with beaches in Spain, right? I'm going there every single time, twice on Sunday, And if we're not careful, and and I'm speaking mostly to myself, I'm just preaching to myself today, and I know because you're human, you're a lot like me, so I hope this resonates, but, but I've done this before. It wasn't Spain versus Iran, but isn't the temptation when things get too hard or the call on your life seems to be getting too difficult or you're, you're, you just can't wrap your head around what God is calling you to or asking of you in this lifetime, isn't it easy to just like, I'm just gonna go numb out. I'm gonna go vacation my way out of this. We're in vacation season, and I've had some amazingly God-filled, rest-filled vacations, but I have also gone on vacation as a child of God where I am just running and hoping that aesthetics can fix things. But you know what I'm forfeiting 
when I'm going for aesthetics, the same thing Jonah has before the presence of the Lord. I would, I, I, I'm in a pretty healthy spot today. Knowing what I know today, I would way rather be in Iran with the presence of the Lord filling me than in Spain running from it. Doesn't matter the aesthetics. Doesn't matter the beaches. It doesn't matter how beautiful it is. It doesn't matter what you're going to get, the amenities you're going to get in Spain versus the amenities you're going to get in Iran. I want to be where the presence of God is because that's where we get what we ultimately were created to have, which is true hearts and true transformation. I take transformation over vacation any day of the week, again, twice on Sunday. The place of transformation for Jonah was going to be where God asked him to go, not what looks best on paper. And so this is like, God, I hear the words again of Solomon, if you'll just trust in the Lord with all your heart for a city, lean not on your intellect, lean not on what makes sense on paper, just keep acknowledging what God has compelled and led your heart to do, even when it doesn't make sense. And listen to me, what you will find in the middle of that obedience is the sweet and tender and palpable, tangible presence of God. And with the presence of God comes the peace of God. And with the peace of God comes the joy of God. And I'll tell you what, I've never been to Iran but if I'm there with the peace of God and with the joy of God and with the presence of God, Iran is going to look surprisingly, incredibly beautiful. Why? God created Iran as much as he created Spain. God loves the people of Iran as much as he loves the people of Spain or of America. So much so that he sends someone who's privileged because of his ethnicity to be an Israelite, to be that first seed. He sends him with a responsibility going, this isn't just for you. This privilege isn't just for you. It's for the people in Iran. It's for the people of Nineveh. And they're so far from me. Their evil has come up against me. Do you hear him say they don't know their right hand from their left? Go and preach good news to them. It's hard news that I'm going to ask you to tell them the truth. But, but these people are ready. We're going to see this in week four. Their hearts were ready to, to receive the hard but beautiful truths of the word of God. And they were ready to, to, to repent. But Jonah doesn't want that. Because he's been taught what? They're enemies. They're bad. We're good. So look at what happens next. Because the same thing's true when you and I, even with what we think are good hearts, start to run away from God, God in his kindness does this next. And it doesn't sound very kind, but I promise you, it's the kindness of God what is happening here. It's the sovereign beauty and goodness of God what he does next. So the Lord hurled, he gets on the boat, he starts going to Spain. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Does that sound real good on paper? Does that intellectually sound good, what we just read? This is such a kindness of the Lord because watch the fruit that comes from it. Then they hurled the cargo, or the mariners were afraid. These guys are innocent. They're having to pay for, for Jonah's disobedience. The mariners were afraid. Each cried out to his God. They hurled, so now they're losing resource. They hurled cargo that was in the ship onto the sea to lighten it for them. But then listen to what Jonah's done. Jonah's gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. This isn't him going, I just need some good vacation rest. You know what this is him doing? He's, he's given up. I'd rather, he, he knows, like, I'm, we're gonna die on this ship and it's my fault. I'd rather die on a ship than go to those awful Ninevites. See the, see the pride there? He's not sleeping because he needed rest or he's just super at peace with himself. He's sleeping because he's given up. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? 
And then listen to the next word, the captain, this heathen captain who's praying to false gods, who doesn't yet know Yahweh, yet know Yahweh. He says the same word God first said to Jonah. So now we've got the heathen speaking on behalf of God prophetically again. Right? It's, it's amazing how many times I've had people who don't believe the way I do speak into my belief more than I'm speaking into it and convict me about my belief more than I'm convicted about it. He says the same word God said in the beginning, arise, wake up. Like, what are you doing, right? And I lost my place. Sorry, remember I said it, give me grace. It wasn't gonna be, where am I at? Okay, arise, there we go. Call out to your God. Perhaps this God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Then they go on to cast lots, which is an ancient practice they did to see whose fault things were or who was right or who was wrong. They would cast lots. And as we know, the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said, you're the reason this has happened. And Jonah doesn't disagree with them. And Jonah's given up. So what it goes on to say, which I'm going to skip for the sake of time today, but you can go back in our, in our um, devotionals that we're writing and you can read more in depth. Jonah, Jonah just says, hey, I, guys, I'll admit it. The, the lot's right. I'm the reason this happened to us. And they're like, who are you? And he's like, I'm, uh, where are you from? Is what they would go on to ask. And he's like, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear Yahweh, the one we just sang to earlier. The one true God. The God of breath, Yahweh, right? That we so beautifully learned about earlier. He's like, I serve. And it, it says they instantly were filled with the fear of God. So God's already at work. Well, Jonah's given up. Isn't this cool of God? Isn't this kind of God? If I'm, if I'm God, I'm so put off by Jonah in his little self-righteousness, in his, in his acting like a bit, in his, he got the privilege that most of Israel would have wanted to be a prophet of God. He got that high office and now because he's going to a place he doesn't want to go, he just runs away and falls asleep and gives up. If I'm God, I'd just say, man, I'm drowning that kid. I'll, I'll get a next, next up, right? It's like in NFL, if, you're, if you get injured, next up, who's next? We haven't got time to wait for you. Who's next? Who's the next prophet? God, send him our way. So long story short, here's the cool thing. At the height of Jonah's rebelliously running away, soldiers still come to know Jesus. They still come to know Yahweh. So they, they, they start repenting. Jonah still hasn't. Jonah's just given up. So, so God's, listen to this, God is still using the call of God on Jonah's life while he's running from God. And this was my story in all of my early 20s when I couldn't have been further from God. I look back now with such joy, but also deep humility because of how many times I look back and how God was using me and still pushing me in the direction of my calling on his life when I wasn't doing anything to obey or serve God in my early 20s. I was as prodigal from God as you could get and he was still working in me and through me. Why? Because he cares about people. He cares about the, the, the people that don't know him and he cares about the people that know him that are running away from him. And he's using all of these things to work together for his good. So long story short, the, the sailors all repent. They all turn to Yahweh. They start to fear God, but they're still like at the end, they're like, we still got to throw you off the boat, brother. And Jonah's like, I'm the one who told you to do that. They're like, we love you, we're sorry, this isn't cool. We just gave our life to God and we're already throwing you off. We gotta throw you off the boat because you're the reason that these winds and we need the winds to stop. And Jonah's like, yeah, sacrifice me. It's my fault anyways. They throw him off the boat. Guess what happens? 
Everything calms down. Now, again, thank goodness I'm not God because this is where I drown Jonah. Right? But we know this, this is the famous, most famous part of the story. What happens next? Some kind of massive fish, however that works, swallows him up and takes him away from Spain to where? Iran. God's like, oh, no, 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 no. You can give up on you, but I never give up on you. At the height of, it's the, remember the prodigal son? What's the father do? Oh, here, okay, you can go, but guess what? I'll be here. I'll leave a light on for you to come home. I'll be, here when, uh, I'll be here when you're back. And God's like, I love you too much, Jonah. I know why you're running away. I don't like the reason you're running away. I don't like the motive you're running away. I don't absolutely, uh, I'm not thrilled as your father with, with your attitude right now and, and you're, you're posturing right now. But, but I'll tell you what, I am a good God. And as much as I want to spare and have pity on those Ninevites, I'm going to spare and have pity on you. So that when you do preach repentance to them, the heart will catch up. You'll have, to, you'll have to be accountable now to the amount of mercy I showed you to get you preaching to them in the first place. So a whale comes along, and as they're heading to Spain, does a quick yui, a whale yui, whatever that looks like, and starts heading right to Iran. And we'll see in week two, eventually, Jonah starts to humble himself before the Lord, and that's when spews him out of his mouth. And he starts walking again in the right direction in his purpose. And all of this is because of the absolute kindness and goodness of God. Now, here's where I really want to take a turn and I want to speak off script. And here's what I really felt God speaking to my heart. I have to go. I'm already, I'm going to read this so fast. This is Hebrews chapter 12. And I think in, in week one, I think this is what God would want to say to all this. And I'm going to try and read slow um, and good because I'm not a, a great reader here, but I'm going to try really hard because these words, would you just please really listen and be present right now? This is the word of the Lord. This is Hebrews starting in chapter five. And have you, imagine him saying this to Jonah. And have you, Jonah, completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart, you run away, when he rebukes you. We're going to see a lot of rebuke to Jonah in this series. A lot of discipline. Because the Lord, ready for this? This is good news. The Lord disciplines those he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Isn't that interesting? The, ch the, the chastening from the Lord is part of the acceptance of the Lord. Why? Because it's always done from a place of love. It's always done from a place of tenderness. It's always done from a place of he just wants the absolute best in you. Goes on to say this, endure hardship as discipline. I'm not fully sure how the discipline of God manifests, but what we're told here in Hebrews, at least one way is hardship. God must sovereignly allow some things that are hard, like when he allows Jonah to be tossed over a ship. Knowing how, what was gonna eventually get him there, but, but God's like, you know what? This is gonna be real hard for Jonah. And this is gonna be real scary for Jonah. And Jonah's gonna look death in the face in the next few hours as he's out there on those crazy waters and he thinks he's being killed as he's being swallowed up by a, a massive fish. But, 
but, and it's going to be hard, but, but this is going to be one, these hard moments are going to be some of the greatest accountability for him moving forward to always remember there's nothing better and more right than to just obey God and walk in the will of God the first time. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. And then I love how honest the Bible is. For what children are not disciplined by their father, right? We've all been there. If you're not, that's why we run away from home as kids, right? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, we're all in the same boat here, pun intended, then you are not legitimate. Did you hear that? If you are not disciplined by God, you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? He says, they disciplined us for a little while. I like this, as they thought best. Translation, kids, sometimes parents are gonna get it wrong, but they mean good. I've already made so many mistakes as a parent, but I know this beyond this. No one can take this away from me. It's always because I deeply, passionately love my children. Do I get it wrong sometimes? My earthly, broken forms of discipline? Yes, but it is always, but, but this is the writer going, if fathers try when you're kids and they get it wrong, think of the perfect father who disciplines and never gets it wrong. Put your trust there. Put all your hope there. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. And then I love the honesty of the Bible here. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Can I get an amen to that? Right? Appreciate your honesty, Bible. Later on, here's the good news. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So let me just have a moment of Again, I'm breaking script because I feel like this matters more than anything. Let me have a moment of authenticity and honesty with you guys, and um, I'll share what's appropriate, but this time almost three years ago, I thought I was done with the church. I had been as a youth pastor and a pastor preaching the gospel for just under 20 years, three years ago. Had been doing it a little while now. Got a ways to go, but I've been doing it a little while now. A lot of sermons in 17, 18 years. And three years ago, some things happened in my life and I went Jonah. And me and my wife really for about a year thought we wouldn't be in church anymore. We had given up. And we thought it was for noble reasons and we thought it was for good reasons and we, we had been feeling some things that were frustrating and hurtful and, and so our inclination was, well, you go away from the place that's frustrating and hurting you, Right? And I have done nothing fruitful in my life. Everything I've tried in my life apart from preaching the gospel has not been fruitful. I could tell you some stories about jobs and attempts. Nothing that I've tried has been fruitful in my life other than me preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. I come alive when I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I feel the pleasure of God when I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are like indicators of someone's calling. What what makes you come alive? When do you feel the the smile of God? Even when I go off script and don't preach that eloquently, I feel the pleasure of God right now. I feel the smile of God on my life while I'm up here bragging on Jesus and bragging on the goodness of God and calling us to all be a better, more holy, kind people. I feel it with excitement and passion. It's not fake. I don't have to muster it up. I have energy that I didn't have an hour ago right now because of this moment. I did 
nothing in the last three years to have the right to stand up here this morning and get to preach about the goodness of God and look where I'm at. I didn't do that. I didn't nobly walk back into it. I, I, I wish I had time, be, I, way over time, I wish I had time to tell you a little bit more of the story, but I could just tell you what got me back here and it was nothing at the end of the day more than the kindness of God going, Chad, you're acting like a spoiled little kid right now. You're acting like Jonah right now. You're being entitled right now. Chad, we'll talk about this in week four. I'll share more of our story. You're actually being self-righteous towards the church right now and you don't even know it. And out of your out of your ignorance, because I know it, but buried underneath all of that silliness, you deeply, truly love me. I'm going to get you back to preaching the gospel. I'm going to get you back there. And can I tell you, the last three years have been a three-year session of discipline for me, for my family. It's not been an easy three years at all. I want them to be over and can I not put a red bow on the end of today it's not over for me right now can I also tell you some really good news I'm living proof that what I just read to you in Hebrews is a hundred percent true I have felt more of the kindness and goodness of God in these three years of being disciplined by God than I have my whole rest of my walk with God combined in 20, 26, 27 years combined, in the last three of the hardest years of my life and my family's life, I have felt more love and closeness and kindness and transformation from God while at the same time being disciplined by God. You know why? God disciplines kids he loves. And it doesn't feel good at the time. I'm not gonna tell you I'm enjoying this. I'm not a masochist. I'm not saying bring more on then since you're so loving. I'm, I'm, I'm excited if this season, this cycle happens to end at some point. I'll be cool with that, trust me. But here's what's so beautiful. I have never been more transformed and closer to Jesus than I felt in these last couple years. I have never been more excited and tender towards the heart of God and Christ than I have in these last two years when all hell's breaking loose in my life for other reasons. That is the beauty of God. This is why we don't run from God when things are hard. We run to him. There is a fundamental difference between punishment and discipline, but a lot of times that passage is hard because we think about punishment and discipline being synonymous with each other. They are not. Punishment is final, and punishment has no hope attached to it at the end. Right? You get that prison sentence, and the, the, the government's not thinking about how you feel about it, or it's just... You did this, here's your punishment. Lock the key, go away. Not with Jesus. He breaks people out of prison. Read Isaiah 61. He takes prisoners and turns them into people of liberty. He sets captives free. Isaiah says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Jesus was punished, so we're never punished again. But make no mistake about it, God in his kindness will discipline you. He will allow you to go through some things and he will take you places you don't wanna go and ask you to do things that on paper make no sense. And until we get there, because that's where your truest self will always be found, that's where your best godliest self will be found is where God tells you to go and what he tells you to do. And when we run, he will be so kind to you, but you 
will find discipline there. You will find some storms. You will find some shipwrecked seasons of your life. And what I came to tell you this morning, I hope on behalf prophetically of God, is that you can lean into God in this season and you will receive a transforming power from him that on your best days of prosperity, on your best vacations in the summer, you cannot find with amenities and aesthetics. You will be transformed in the difficulty like no other seasons of life. So when those come, please hear me say this. This is not an indictment from God. Lauren said it in her sermon a couple weeks ago. It's an invitation to growth. It's an invitation to the more real, more whole, more holy, better you. So you don't grow weary, the writer of Hebrews would go on to say. You don't grow weary in doing well. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not quit and do not give up. If anyone came here and you are running from anything that you know you were called to in life, I am praying on behalf of God by the name of Jesus, that you today would draw a line in the sand and say, I don't care how hard this season is. I will press forward with hope. I will not give up. I will not lose heart. I will not quit for the glory of God and for the joy of me and my family. I will continue to believe that no matter what I go through, just like God was with Jonah, he is good and he is for me and he is working things out below the surface that although I can't see, I am going to fully trust. And then when you start over time and I don't have the timetable for you, I don't even know when I'm gonna be out of this season. I'm not, I don't have a red bow for mine yet. I'll preach that when it comes. Praise God. Amen. Can't wait. But I'm still, if if you're running, listen, you're talking to a runaway right now. I'm not up here preaching at you. I'm preaching with us. I'm I'm with you. I'm a runaway. Who God in his kindness said, no, 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 no. I got you. I got you. I got you. So I'm going to pray us out of here. And I'm going to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed the one thing that I have to ask in this is if you do not know this Jesus, this Yahweh that we sang about, this God we talk about, I want to invite you to know him today. It's the single most beautiful thing we do at church. It's the single most significant thing. And I just want to let you know from personal testimony and experience, this is the word of my testimony that nothing in my life has ever even remotely compared to the beauty of Jesus in my heart and in my mind. I've had some really beautiful seasons. I've had some really cool amenities. I've been blessed in some very cool materialistic ways different times over the years. And I gotta tell you, nothing compares, nothing compares to a true intimate relationship with Jesus. We believe here he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Yahweh is through Jesus. Jesus was Yahweh on earth. We believe that if you confess your sins and if you believe genuinely in your heart, you shall be saved and eternal life is yours. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. There's nothing you need to have on a resume for God to be okay with you. We are not saved by works lest any man should boast. We are saved by grace and grace alone through our faith. And if you're ready today to put your faith in Jesus Christ, would you just boldly do this? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, 
but, but would you just put your hand up? We want to celebrate with you. We want to pray for you. Yes, I see hands over there. I see hands back there. I see hands here. Anybody else? I see hands here. Anybody else? Hands. Yes, hands all over the place today. People wanting to receive the saving work. I see that back there, sir. Thank you so much. The saving work of Jesus Christ for a city. If you've already done this, would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for salvation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everybody with their hand raised. Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you would fill them with your spirit, with streams of living water, Jesus, that you promised us. You would fill them with your fruit. You would fill them with your gifts. You would fill them with your truth. You would guide them into all truth. You would protect them. You would watch over them. And lastly, what the Bible says, you would confirm to their spirits that this decision is so pure and so right and so true. For every one of us that are in here and are currently running from something they know they shouldn't be, we also pray grace on you. We pray hope on you. We pray life on you. We pray encouragement over you. We pray conviction over you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. So God, on the way out, would you bless us, keep us, cause your face to shine upon us. I ask that you'd be radically gracious to everyone in this room and we would go forth with the peace that passes understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We pray this blessing in your name. And everyone said, Amen. Hey, if you need any prayer on the way out, we're going to have a prayer team down here that will stay till the last person. Also, can we all buy, if we can, a uniform or, or give five bucks or 10 bucks towards one of those kids' uniforms for the school year coming up? Uh, it's such a great cause. Don't forget to get tickets as well um, for the praise concert in the park on your way out. I love you guys. The peace of God go with you. You've been listening to Chad Brugman with part one of the series, Jonah the story of a runaway. Thanks for listening.